COVID happened, Kelsey and I used to host these uh, neighborhood dinners in our neighborhood about like twice a month or so. And, you know, we just, we would invite everybody in our road to come. And, you know, so one, uh, I think it was on Tuesdays. Yeah, so one Tuesday evening, I leave work early. I get home. Kelsey's already been working on the food for hours. I'm, you know, I'm cleaning up, you know, trying to make it look like we don't normally have piles on our tables, you know, hiding those in closets and whatnot. And we get, you know, everything ready. The table's prepared. And six o'clock comes and no one shows up. You know, so we wait another 30 minutes and still no one shows up. And as I'm wondering, you know, what do I do now with this newly opened wine bottle? And, you know, like, we have all this extra food. I'm just thinking, like, ugh, people. You know, just what, what a waste is what I'm thinking. And there's this uh, English professor. His name's Dr. Alan Noble. And in one of his books, he, he talks about the fact that God is defined by prodigal generosity. Prodigal means wasteful, right? So God's defined by a prodigal waste or a wasteful kindness and generosity in how he treats people. And he's drawing here from the story that Jesus tells in Luke 15. It's an absurd story. It's this parable where a son, he goes to his father and he basically tells him, hey, dad, I don't care if you're dead or not. I just want my share of the wealth, my inheritance. And so the father gives it to him. The son goes out, he wastes all of it, and he comes crawling back home. And not only does the dad bring him back in, but he gives him more wealth again. Like, you just look, you're like, this isn't efficient. Is this even loving? And part of Jesus' point in this story is when we see this, like, we learn to read all of the Bible and all of history as God is, you could, like, reckless or wasteful in his kindness and in his generosity toward people. He's not calculating, right? He's not very efficient, with his grace. And so what this means for us is if we've been brought into God's family is we as apprentices of Jesus now no longer think about who we're going to be kind to or who we're going to be generous to in terms of return, right? As I was doing that evening when no one showed up. It's like, I'm never going to do this again. They're not even appreciative, right? It doesn't matter how they respond. It doesn't matter how they treat us in kind, but we're called to be like wastefully generous and kind toward people in our life. Uh, not just financially, but relationally, because this is hard. Uh, but this is what it means to be in Jesus' kingdom. And so what we're going to see in this passage today is we're going to see this character trait of God, just this prodigal generosity, and how he treats outsiders. Okay, the theme of these three healings is that Jesus loves outsiders. Okay, it's just one point for these three healings. Jesus loves outsiders. Okay, normally we have like, you know, three subpoints we go through in a sermon. Just, we're just going to trace this theme of Jesus loves outsiders through these healings, the leper, the centurion, uh, and then the mother-in-law. And then at the end, we'll draw out some applications. Okay, so just Jesus loves outsiders. Let's walk through the healings, and then we can uh, see how to apply this to our lives. All right, and uh, kids, by the way, it's really good to have you with us today. So thanks for being here. Um, All right, so let's start here at the top in verse 1 with the leper. So when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. So Jesus has just finished the Sermon on the Mount. This is what we've been in for the last few months. And here we see one of the many differences between me and Jesus. So when I finish a sermon, I want to go to a quiet room and nap by myself. Okay, Jesus is coming down from giving a sermon, and crowds are swarming around him. They're asking questions like, what do you mean by these outrageous things you said in the Sermon on the Mount? And he, he loves it. He's inviting them to be near him. He's healing them. And then suddenly, the crowd goes silent. And you can almost hear them gasp as the crowd parts, and a leper stumbles forward and kneels before Jesus, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. 
So now to understand why this was so shocking and grotesque for people around is because so leprosy was and is a horrific skin disease. It was incredibly painful, and it disfigured your body. Okay, so often, like, sections of your skin could be eaten away. Uh, you may lose fingers and toes. It would discolor your skin. It was extremely painful, and it was also uh, thought to be highly contagious. And, but even worse than the physical pain of leprosy was the social pain. Uh, because no, but lepers weren't allowed to go near people. People weren't allowed to go near them. And so if you can just try to imagine going to a, something like a black tie event or a wedding, and you're in, you know, your worst color, like sweaty gym outfit and also covered in feces, like the way people would look at you and keep their distance from you, you start to get a sense for what this guy has been feeling like for years. Okay, and then... Jesus, in verse 3, he stretches out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. Now, one of the questions we have to ask is, why does Jesus touch him? In the section right after this, we're going to see him heal a young man without touching him. Okay, he can do it with a word. He does it all the time. But Jesus touches him. So why does he touch him? And the answer is in this man's prayer. Okay, how does he frame the question, Lord, if you will, or if you're willing, or if you want to, you can make me clean. So he's not saying, Jesus, can you? Okay, I'm not sure if you can. He's saying, if you want to. Or put another way, what the leper is asking Jesus is, am I lovable? Because for years, he hasn't felt the warmth and belonging of a human touch. And he's like, am I even worth loving? And so when, when Jesus decides to step forward and touch him, like, what he's communicating to him is, I want to remind you what love really feels like. Because, yes, more than you know, you are lovable. And, like, the gospel is in this touch, is it not? Okay, God the Son reaching through our defense mechanisms, our pains, our shattered dreams, our indifference, our in boredom, to draw us to himself, to let us know, yes, you are lovable. And so here as we see Jesus loving outsiders, specifically the physically excluded. I hope this is comfort for you. Maybe you're like, oh, I'm not a leper, so how does this apply to me? But just consider if, if anything about your lived bodily experience of life has left you feeling excluded or undesirable or less than somehow. Okay, so maybe it's a chronic health issue a skin disease, um, something about uh, your weight or something about the way your body looks that you feel is unattractive. Maybe something was done to you in your body by somebody that leaves you feeling damaged. What, Je- what Jesus and God, a same person, is, is urging you to hear in these pages is that I eagerly want to draw you to me and to know you and for you to know me, and I want to use you in my kingdom right now as you are. Because Jesus loves outsiders. This includes you if in any way you felt bodily or physically excluded. Incredible comfort. So that's what we see in the leper. Now we keep going, and we see him with this interaction with the the centurion, who was a racial, ethnic, and moral outsider. 
So what happens is the centurion comes forward, and he, uh, centurion is a Roman military officer. They oversee probably about 100, hence the name Centurion, about 100 people are under him. And he comes forward, and he says, my servant's paralyzed at home. And this word for servant's hard to translate, uh, but it's, it's either his son or a younger servant who's, who's dear to him. Either way, we know the centurion loves this individual tremendously. So we ask for healing, and this is strange on a few levels. Because, so first it's strange, he calls Jesus Lord or Master. And the centurion, right, is, he is part of the Roman military, so the Romans were the occupying force in, like, in this territory. And so he is a person of authority, he's part of the powerful, and he's talking to Jesus, who's a homeless peasant and also part of the oppressed class. And so at least from the centurion's perspective, in, Jesus, in his mind, Jesus would be an, an inferior, but he still calls him Lord or Master, so that's weird. But then second why it's weird is because this centurion represents everything about the violence that's being done, that's been done and continues to be done upon the Jewish people. And Jesus has just finished preaching a sermon on the, how all of his followers have a practice of nonviolence and how he abhors violence. And so here's this guy who, who represents everything about what Jesus has just preached against. So in other words, what we're seeing here is this is a dude who like, least qualifies for healing from Jesus, okay, according to everybody watching. But then what happens? Jesus says, I will come and heal him. And the centurion replies in verse 8, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. And so what's going on? It's, there's probably, it, it may be, there's probably, there is a reverence there right here. He already called Jesus his Lord. But also what's going on is due to social and religious codes in the time, Jewish people didn't see Gentiles, right, those outside of their ethnicity as clean. And so they wouldn't go into their homes. And in fact, Jesus, as provocative as many of his actions are throughout the Gospels, you never see him go into a Gentile home, right, except for at the end when he's brought in, uh, when he's on trial, when he's brought into a Gentile building. That's the only time you see. And so you see here, it's like the centurion, he recognizes the Jewish law, which Jesus adhered to. And so it's as if he's saying, okay, thanks for offering to come in, but I know you guys are kind of weird about this stuff, so why don't you just stay where you are? You don't need to come inside, and you can, you can heal my son, or you can heal my servant. And so Jesus does it. And then what does he say? In, in verse 10, when, G, when Jesus sees the faith of the centurion, he hears this, and he marvels, and he says to those who follow him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. And so now if you're the crowd, you're not just surprised, you're probably angry. Like the closest, one of the closest parallels I could think of is imagine you're a Jewish individual in the middle of World War II, and a Jewish rabbi has this encounter in front of you with a Nazi officer, and the rabbi's talking with him, and then he commends the Nazi officer's faith, and then he turns to you, like his people, and he says, not even among you have I found such faith. Right? Or imagine maybe a, a slave in the American South hearing this being said about a white slave owner. Okay, like you think, you're like, That's, this is kind of a kind sentiment, I guess, Jesus, but don't you realize who you're dealing with? And then Jesus, he picks up on this, and so that's why he says in verse 11, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And that's so east and west, he's talking about people outside of the nation of Israel. While the sons of the kingdom, i.e. those in Israel, those in Abraham's line, will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
And what Jesus is, is communicating here is once you really come to terms with what I'm about and that entering my kingdom isn't about how you've lived morally, right? But it's about faith, right? And holding on to me. Because I want not just the oppressed, all throughout the Bible, God deeply cares about the oppressed, but also I want the oppressor in my kingdom. I want the right and the left. I want the right and the wrong side of history, so to speak, in my kingdom. As open-minded as a person as you think you are, there are bound to be people that Jesus wants in his kingdom that you're not okay with and that I'm not okay with. And we have to ask, are we okay with this? Because that's the first thing. We have to begin to develop the openness that Jesus had towards the types of people that he wants in his kingdom. And along with that, like part of his point here is you'll find many within the nation of Israel outside the kingdom, right, when I renew the world, and many outside are going to be inside is Jesus, and throughout the scriptures, he gives us many ways that we can measure our own confidence, whether we're in the kingdom or not. And Jesus wants us as his disciples to have confidence that we belong to him. But especially when it comes to other people, we talked about this a little bit in the uh, judge not passage. We should be very slow to assume the state of a person's soul. In other words, like when Jesus renews the world, there will be many people in the new earth, people who are in heaven, who surprise us that they're there. And also probably many people, it will surprise us that they're not there. Because this is how Jesus works and that his kingdom is for outsiders. Can we see this with the centurion who's a Gentile, more outsider? Number three, we keep going. Now that like everybody is enraged and the people who are following him, he enters Peter's house in verse 14 and he sees Peter's mother-in-law lying sick with a fever He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. So this is Peter's mother-in-law, and what's fascinating about this encounter is that she doesn't ask. It's unsolicited, and we don't have enough information to know for sure, but maybe she didn't ask because she was too sick to even summon enough strength to ask for healing, or maybe she didn't have enough hope to ask for healing. But either way, unasked for, but right, notice the, the progression in the first section, the leper directly asks, in the second section, the centurion intercedes for someone else. That's, that's a whole other sermon, the power of intercessory prayer, right, praying for other people. And then here, no one asks, but yet he reaches out and he touches her and he heals her. And so why does Jesus heal Peter's mother-in-law? And the answer is because he wants to. And along with that, at minimum, we can say it's because Jesus, because God, loves women. And, and you know, in this culture, in Jesus' day, women were treated, you know, at best as second-class citizens. And so their, their voice wasn't even allowed to be heard in court. Uh, if they're in a marriage, the, the husband was allowed, if not encouraged, to cheat on his wife, whereas the woman would be punished for cheating on her husband. Okay, they weren't allowed as far as men into the temple. And so when Jesus just heals her, and then you see in verse 15, she rises and begins to serve him. This isn't in a demeaning way, like oh, some kind of, like oh, she's being treated as less. What this is, what happen, what's happening is Jesus is inviting her into the inner ring to play a vital role in what he's doing as his kingdom goes forward. 
And the, just the, as I was sitting with this this week, I think it was just the timing of it. So we have a leadership institute that meets during the week. And just this past week, we, like the convert, the topic of, uh, men and women's relationships in the church got brought up. And there were a number of women there who just shared really painful stories of their experience in the church. Uh, not being allowed to speak. You know, being pushed to the side, not allowed to lead ministries. And, you know, maybe if you didn't grow up in the church, or maybe you did grow up in the church, but just maybe you're unaware that this is a this is a thing. This is an experience for a lot of women. I can't speak to other worlds, but especially in, in the American church, this, this is a big issue. And so, um, especially maybe if, if you weren't aware of this, or just if you're a man like I am, we just, we don't know what it's like to have been and to be a woman in the church. And so I think just my challenge to all of us here is, is we see Jesus unsolicited reach out, heal this woman, bring her in to the heart of what he's doing, as we see all the ways he places women in unique roles in ministry, as we see many places in the New Testament talk about men and women teaching each other and helping each other grow as disciples of Jesus, just may it not be in our church where women aren't given a voice and places where they can use their gifts to help all of us grow. And if you are a, if you're a female here this morning and do maybe it do, being due to somebody telling you something or maybe it's just the voice in your own head where you believe that you should be sidelined for some reason, you need to see God telling you in his word that you are a unique image bearer with the Holy Spirit, okay, whose voice and presence and gifts are necessary for God's people to grow. And I hope you, you hear that, and Doxology wants to be a church that fosters that. You'll be hearing more in the coming year about ways we're trying to let this happen, to, to have it reflect the community that Jesus is building. And also just an invitation if you're here and you don't feel like that in any way is playing out to please talk with us about that. Okay, so number three, we see Jesus loves outsiders, and that includes women. So notice what's happened here with these three healings. Okay, he heals a leper, a Gentile, and then a woman. And if you know history, this corresponds to the three layers of exclusion in the temple. The temple was constructed kind of like an onion, okay, to quote Shrek, right? With uh, like demarcated layers where walls are separating people off, like people off of how far they can go in and experience the presence of God. And so lepers can't come in at all. Gentiles can go a little further into the outer court. And then women, Jewish women, can go in further than Gentiles, but then they're stopped. And only after that, into the, the holy place, only Jewish males can go. And then into the most holy place, the Holy of Holies, only the high priest, okay, a Jewish male, can go in, and even then only once a year. And so you see what's happening? As Jesus goes from leper to Gentile to woman, he's smashing the barrier of access to God, going from the outside in, all the way into the Holy of Holies, the presence of God, where he's saying, every single one of you, through me, now has full access to God. And he doesn't do this by just waving a magic wand and saying it, it will happen, but see, how does he do it? We see it in the answer in verse 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses 
and bore our diseases. And I was, I was reading in a commentary this week, so this is the only place in the Gospels that Isaiah 53, a relatively famous passage, is quoted in all the Gospels. And what's intriguing is, it's not, it's, here it's applied not just to the cross, but to Jesus' ministry. So it's as if somehow with each healing, Jesus is taking a hit to his reputation, and he's bearing somehow in his body like the pain and the alienation that comes from healing somebody sick, healing a Gentile, and healing and bringing in a woman in this culture. Okay, so, throughout, so it's not just at the cross, but his entire life is bearing the pains of our experience. And then at the cross is where he really fully is on the outside. Okay, so throughout here, Jesus is in the inside, crowds all around him. He's bringing others in. And throughout his life, they're now on the inside, and then Jesus is now on the outside. Where at the cross, he now has the experience of, of asking the question, I've, I've forgotten what love feels like. Am I lovable? And this time, there is no hand there to touch him and to remind him of what love really is like. Because why he, he's bearing our pains and our alienation, being excluded so that we know we always have the affection and attentive ear of God. And no matter what we've done, no matter who you are, come what may, you always have this full access to God and all of his affection. Because God loves outsiders, and this includes me, and this includes you. So Jesus loves outsiders. Hopefully we're clear on that now. Okay, as we're saying, we'll just keep saying it through the gospel. So now let's talk about ways that we can apply this to our lives. Hopefully you've seen some ways already. So first, let's talk about how we apply this to other people, and then we can talk about how we apply this to ourselves. So first, how do we apply this to other people? As I was thinking about ways that we, maybe we partake in excluding other people from Jesus, I thought about one that's sneaky, and this I'm preaching to myself as much as I am to you all. Consider who you choose to invite to church or to engage in spiritual conversations with, or maybe invite to read the Bible with you. Consider who you choose to invite to do that, and, choo- and who you choose to not invite to do that. Because the people we choose not to invite is a way that we exclude them from experiencing Jesus' incredible, wasteful, prodigal love toward outsiders. And so maybe it's somebody who you've heard experience hostility toward the faith. Maybe it's a friend or family member who's lesbian or gay, and they're wondering, does God or the church actually love me? Okay, maybe it's somebody who you know they have some kind of authority figure in their life who was religious and didn't love them well. If we believe as a church, and I hope we do, that Jesus invites all identities, all identities, all histories, all temperament, to come hear good news, because that's what he's about to hear, good news. To hear the words, there is a personal God who really, really loves you. I, I hope we can grow, despite the various reasons we're afraid Okay, to engage in that kind of invitation with people, I hope we can engage in extending the same invitation toward them that Jesus first did for us. 
Okay, so that would be the first way I think that we can grow in helping outsiders experience the love of Jesus. Um, second, if Jesus loves outsiders, so should his apprentices. And here now think about outsiders, not maybe in terms of um, like a more overt letting them hear the gospel kind of way, but outsiders in terms of the people who you've deemed as now unworthy of your love and affection. Right? If God is wastefully generous, so should we be. And as we saw, especially with the centurion, but we see with all three of these people, like we, we, you just have to admit that there are going to be people that God asks you to show what will appear to be irrational generosity and kindness toward that you're not going to be okay with. Okay? It, could be, it could be a political enemy or a political group. It could, be a, it could be somebody in your house. It could be somebody in your extended family. It could be a friend, you know, you name it. And just due to them not reciprocating in a certain way, them due to, like, they're doing the equivalent of not coming over to your house after you've prepared everything for them to come over. And Jesus would say, as I've first shown wasteful grace toward you, show wasteful grace to other people. And as you do, you will open up more pockets of heaven on this earth. Because that, that, that's a challenge as we think about loving outsiders. So that, that's a, just a few ways we can apply this to others. Now let's talk about how do we apply this to ourselves, the fact that Jesus loves outsiders. And so, first, this should be incredible comfort to you if you felt like a spiritual outsider or a spiritual infant. Okay, or maybe you don't feel comfortable praying in public, or you don't know the Bible verses or the theology that other people seem to know. You feel like you're like just getting into the kingdom by the skin of your teeth. And what we see in all of these cases is if you have a modicum, a tiny bit of faith in Jesus, you have Jesus. And so that is enough for you to also be invited to sit at the table along with the great heroes of the faith. So it should be an incredible comfort and should also be a challenge to people like me who tend to, you know, going back to his statement about we'll be surprised at who's at the table and who's not. Maybe if you're, if you're like me and you just, if you're honest, you tend to presume a little bit. Like, yeah, of course I'm a Christian. Of course I'm going to have a seat at the table. You know, because I've been following Jesus for as long as I can remember. I memorized a lot of verses when I was a kid. I went to seminary. I teach the Bible. I'm a professional Christian in many ways. I say that tongue-in-cheek. But here, there should, be a, there should be a humility about us where we never lose the surprise that Jesus loved us and still loves us, even though we were once outsiders. And so an imaginative exercise that I've been doing, maybe you'll think this is weird, but an imaginative exercise I've been doing to try to remember God's prodigal outsider love toward me is when I'm alone in prayer, I'll just, I'll close my eyes and I imagine myself being stripped away of all the things that I believe furnish me with value. Okay, so my ability and desire to read and to write and to communicate, uh, my memory is no longer as sharp. Uh, anything I believe is attractive about my, peer- my appearance is just completely done away with. I no longer know anything about theology, about the Bible. I can no longer make my boys laugh. I can no longer be somewhat of a a pillar or a help in my home. And then after all of those things are stripped away and I'm imagining myself to be as unattractive as I can possibly be, it's at that moment 
that Jesus approaches me and embraces me. And what I've found is it helps me not to lose the surprise that the leper had, that the centurion had, that the mother-in-law had, that Jesus approached them when everyone else was telling them they were profoundly useless and unattractive. Okay, I want to carry that delighted wonder with me all of my days, and I hope you do as well. And so what Jesus is summoning you to and inviting you into is to first receive that outsider love that he ex- extended and still extends to you, as unattractive as you may be. And then you'll find that out of that, it becomes way easier, sometimes joyful, in fact, to show wasteful, prodigal love toward those who are outsiders in your life. Let's pray.